So glad that you're here. We had a members meeting this last week, so if you're a member, uh, one of the biggest things that we, we want, want to ask you to do is to follow up with that. We're asking you to recommit yourself uh, this year to uh, over the next year uh, from now, 12 months of uh, uh, membership. And so if you haven't done that yet, I want to encourage you to do that. Um, that's a big help to us. Um, and uh, basically, if you don't sign back up, we'll just we'll assume that you do not want to be a member here. We will contact you, harass you, and uh, uh, other things. Uh, put you on an email chain that you don't want to be on. So you better do it. Um, so uh, we're we're in the book of Luke. Normally, we talk about the resurrection uh, on Easter Sunday. Um, we decided this year we want to finish the book of Luke. We're going to do a different passage uh, for Easter Sunday. Um, and so we're, we're talking about the resurrection today. But the resurrection is where the life is. The resurrection is where the power is. Uh, the resurrection is, is ultimately our hope that comes through the cross. What, where we get stuck is in looking for the living among the dead. We look for eternal hope in dead things. We look for eternal life in dead things. And too often, that has become just the way that we've lived. That's the way that we are. That's the way that we've been doing it. That's, that's, that's the way that we've been doing life. That's the way that the church operates many times. But God has something different for you. God has something different for your life. God has something different for your experience. God has something different uh, for your family. God has something different for our church together. And the, the longer we continue to look for life in death, uh, the more we, we will continue uh, to squander our time, uh, the more we'll continue to languish in kind of this mediocre Christianity that doesn't, that doesn't care about whether people come to know Jesus. That doesn't care about uh, the, the, our world. That doesn't care about what God really has for us. So I'm incredibly passionate that God has something new and fresh for our church in the coming days. I... I, I had this thought just a few minutes ago as I was getting prepped. I wonder if what's going to happen. I'm not going to make a prediction. I'm not a prophet. But uh, my prediction is, is this. The Seahawks are going to suck, all right? That's, that's, that's going to happen. But there, there's, more, there's more to it. Um, COVID is coming to a close. It's coming to an end, we think, except if there's a new variant, which, by the way, there's always going to be a new variant of fear. Um, you know, I, I just, just read the news and they'll be like, now that that's no longer fearful, this should be fearful for you. And then this should be fearful. And of course there are fearful things that are happening like, uh, the war in Ukraine and I mean the, the new sub sub variant. And then I read this article, uh, I think it was last night. It said, there's a new variant called the Deltacron that may be surging. And then I started to read the article, just in the, in the little subtitle of it, new variant, but it's probably not going to do much. It was just clickbait. Like, it just it, it won, wanted me to read this article and see that there's a new sub-variant of the variant, uh, of the alpha, of what, whatever it is that they, they call it. And so, anyway, but I wonder if people are going to come to this point where they're, they think that life is going to get so much better. 
Life is found in COVID coming to an end. Life is found in my life getting completely back to normal. Life is found in me no longer doing a Zoom call ever again. Life is found, and I can tell you, it's the resurrection, and then just underneath that is no more Zoom calls. That's, that's, that, is, that, that is very true. I can't stand them. But uh, anyhow, I think there's going to be a lot of people who are like, wait a minute, I thought that life was supposed to get better, and my life isn't better. And the secular vision for life, that you can have it all, you can we have been building this utopia. We've been building this life and it should be getting better all the time and there will be no more wars, no more bombs, um, you know, all, all of this stuff. Think of some John Lennon song right now. Um, it's it's going to be... It's going to be amazing. Imagine it. It's going to be amazing. But then our world is coming to this conclusion that says, yeah, maybe it's not going to be that. Where am I going to find hope? We've seen a lot of people who have lost hope uh, throughout uh, the COVID pandemic, where uh, people have given up in, uh, on life and ended their life. We've seen a lot of depression, anxiety, anger, rage, uh, higher rates of alcoholism. More people quitting smoking, though. I heard that. That's, so you got that going for you. But we'll continue to look for, for life and death. As believers, as Christians, this is what we have. What we have is that there is, that, 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 that we no longer have to look for, into death for life. That we can look to the true one, the resurrected one for life. Would you look at the passage with me? We're not going to spend a lot of time on, on a lot of this, but I just... Uh, a couple things that I wanted to point out to you in this first section here, uh, where it's talking about Joseph of uh, Arimathea. Um, it, it talks about Jesus, and, and, and it, uh, I'm sorry, it talks about him and how he had not consented to their decision and action. He was looking for the kingdom of God. Here's a guy who had, who had been a part of the Jew, Jewish ruling, uh, religious ruling class, and he was not on board with this. And it's really talking about the care that he had for Jesus' body. It's a, it's a beautiful story. And then we, we get into the beginning of, uh, uh, I'm sorry, verse 55. It says, the women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath day, they rested according to the commandment. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. When they went in, they did not find uh, the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. Now, what is this dazzling apparel? I mean, I think it could have been, you know, uh, these guys went to the buckle in 2007. They found some bedazzled shirts. Do you remember? Do you remember this? Some, if you're wearing one... Sir, I'm sorry. Uh, that's uh, I'm very sorry, but uh, I mean it's still relatively in style. Uh, but uh, you know, like on the, the the butt of the jeans, you know, they had like little whirly do's. Like our logo for the church was kind of done in that same kind of style. It was like this super intense O, you know, for outward church, um, as someone described it. Anyway, the whole bedazzled, you know, they had all the sparklies here, and then on on the behind. Those, I don't think that's what they were wearing. I think it just means that they, 
they had some, some shimmery uh, clothes on in some way, which doesn't sound masculine, but I'm sure it was. Uh, verse five, and they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground. The men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. They're like, oh my goodness. And he says, remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day and, and, and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the rest. Now, this angel sees these women, scares the dickens out of them. They are, they're totally freaked out. And he says, hey, do you remember that time? Uh, remember, remember that time, that, that place when I, uh, or when Jesus, rather, uh, told you, hey, this is exactly what's going to happen. They're like, you know what? That is what he said. And it's kind of interesting because on some level, like we know this stuff about Jesus. We know the reality of how he's, he's going to be delivered in the hands of sinful men. He's going to be crucified. And then he's going to raise up from the grave. And like there's this power that's in there, but you forget, you forget to, to hear it, you forget to notice it, you forget to acknowledge it. And they go, you know what? You're right, Jesus did say that. And I wonder if you, if you might have, you know, a Jesus did say that moment here this morning. That you, that you would have this moment this morning where you would just go, you know what, that's true, that's true. Keep going with me for another minute and we'll get back into this idea. He said, now it was uh, Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. Now like, how hilarious is this? Like you, I mean, many commentators say like women uh, were not believed in that day. Like their testimony didn't count for anything. And here they are, they're kind of proving the point, and that is that they're like, that didn't happen, ladies. You're hysterical, you don't know what you're talking about, like what, whatever, you just really want them back, you're imagining this. But what's interesting about this is that Luke presents women as believing and the men as doubting. Isn't that kind of cool? I mean, all throughout Luke's gospel, you see this stuff where Luke highlights women, but in Luke's gospel, he's showing us like, hey, these gals are the ones who experienced this first. They believed it first. That's kind of cool. I was thinking about this, and it just was, I was thinking about how many times I've seen like the wife come to faith, the woman in the relationship come to faith, and she's like tired of this guy like kind of being a bonehead, and so she's just, She's like, no, Jesus really rose from the grave. And he's like, yeah, yeah, what, whatever, whatever. But somehow this faithful wife brings her husband to church. And somehow this faithful wife is praying for her husband and wanting to see him come to know the real and the living Jesus. And that's what happens. I think that's such an incredible role um, for women today even though it is a man's responsibility to be leading in his home spiritually, oftentimes it doesn't happen, but what a beautiful thing it is when a woman leads in the home to lead her husband to know the true and risen Savior. 
And then it says, but Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. He's like, you know what? They were telling the truth. It's such an interesting story. But the statement in the middle here is like an axiom. An axiom is, according to whatever dictionary I Googled, uh, says... (laughs) Someone somewhere deserves credit for this statement, all right? I don't know who it is. A statement or proposition which is regarded as being established, accepted, or self-evidently true. It's like he said, I mean, listen, it kind of seems obvious that you should not be looking for, seeking the living among the dead. It kind of seems obvious that that's not what you should be doing, and that's what you're actually doing. I think that phrase sticks out so much that why do you seek for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. And I'll just, I'll just tell you really basically, if you're looking for the living among the dead, what you need to hear, hear is this. He is not there. He's risen. And so what does that mean for you? It means that you've been raised with Christ. It means that you no longer have to be subservient to that. It means that you no longer need that in your life. It means that you no longer have to have that shame, that guilt, that depression, that anxiety. It means that you no longer have to seek for love in all of the wrong places. I, there's a song, and it's, it's, it gets bad after that, but I was going to sing it for you. That's why. Why do you seek for the living among the dead? What is seeking for the living among the dead? Charles Spurgeon has a fantastic sermon on this. He says this, the mistake they made was that of seeking for the living Savior where he could not be found. We have, all of us, made the same mistake. Some of us are making it right now. We're seeking good things in the midst of evil, hoping to find satisfaction where it was never yet discovered. It's never been and never will be. Seeking, but seeking in the wrong place, seeking for the living among the dead. Now, what does that even mean? What does that look like? How could we apply that to our lives? What would that, what would that look like? Well, it looks like this, politics. I talk a lot about politics, unashamedly. And that's because it has become the death that so many Christians are looking to. It has become the death that people are looking into to say, this will save me. I went to lunch with someone the other day at Applebee's, all right? I'm not ashamed of it, I went went to Applebee's and I have this shirt, a friend of mine who's a pastor gave it to me, and I can't, it says, all of life, all for Jesus. And Jesus is about the only thing you can see on the shirt, which is great, because everywhere I go, people are like, love the shirt, love the shirt, love the shirt. And I'm sure there's tons of people that are like, I hate that guy, but I uh, get a lot of comments. Anyway, walking to Applebee's, this guy walks up to me, older gentleman, walks up to me, and he says, I love that shirt. And I was like, wow, this is a strong reaction over this, right? Uh, I was like, okay, I just wanted to cover it up. Please, sir, get away. Um, no, he's, I love your shirt. I, I, I just, 
oh my, and he started shaking. Like you could tell, like this guy really believed something about Jesus. What did he believe about Jesus? We've got to take our country back. I mean, that's, that's the first thing that came out of his mouth in regards to Jesus. When he thinks of Jesus, he thinks we got to take our country back. That is looking for the living among the dead. When your hope is built on nothing less than politics and your chosen political bent, you have lost hope. You have lost eternal hope. And what you believe and what I believe, because I do this too, See, here's the thing. I have political leanings, strong political leanings. I do. Uh, I, I, I am very opinionated. You might have understood that from listening to sermons or something. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I have opinions on these things. But the thing is, is that, first of all, I have to preach this all the time, and so I have to, I have to redirect my life constantly, and I have to just be like, is my hope in Jesus or is it in what's happening in the world today? Is my hope in Jesus or is my hope in who gets elected? Is my hope in, in the risen Christ or is it in something else? So there's this, we, we, we got to take our country back. There's this forgetful nostalgia. It's like, I, I would love to get back to, like what date are we talking about? Like what date, when was, when was the best date for Christianity? Like, I mean, or, 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 or the world. Like, I'd like to get back to uh, the mid-90s. Like, is that, is that what it was? Clinton was president? I, I, I don't know. There's all, I mean, we can just walk through all kinds of craziness. I mean, we can walk through all of the historical events. I could list them for you. I mean, you want to get back to the 80s? You want to get back to the 70s? You want to get back to the 60s? Do you want to get back to the 50s? Like, I personally... I mean, when you think about the church back in the 50s, I, sometimes I think, I think that's what people are talking about. I want to get back to uh, the world as we knew it in, in maybe the 50s or something like that when it seemed like most everybody was a Christian. Do you know what's happening today? Uh, people are forgetting that there was lots of bad things that were happening then. Do you know why? There's lots of bad things because there was lots of people in America during that time that believed that they were Christians simply because they were Americans. They believed that they were Christians simply because that maybe they attended church here and there. And that's been going on for many, many years up until recently where people believed that they were a Christian because of this. And today, now we have more people who claim no religion than any other time. And now we actually get down to the reality of the truth is you don't really believe. Now we can start from reality that you don't really believe. So there's this forgetful nostalgia that is basically looking for the living among the dead. I want to get back to that time. I want, I want our country to be like then. And the truth is, is that's, that's not what Jesus is calling us to. Jesus is calling us to look for him as the risen Christ. There's politics, there's wealth, there's, there's comfort. There is ongoing sin. There's stuff in our lives that just goes, that just continually keeps us wrapped up. 
continually, like where it, it's like, I keep going back to this, I keep going back to this, and that's essentially going to the grave and, just, and, and saying, like, I want to find life here. It's like using this grave as like a well to, to get life from. Like, I want life from this, but the only thing in there is stench. The only thing in there is just, is death. And instead of hearing that you have been saved from that sin, instead, instead of hearing that you've been released from that, instead of hearing that we have no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, there's this shame cycle that happens in people's lives. That's looking for the living among the dead. It's dependence on how you feel about your faith. It's, 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 it's depending on the reality of like, of like, man, sometimes I doubt. It's concentrating on that doubt. It's concentrating on, I, I have this doubt and I have that doubt. And I must get rid of all doubt. It's, it's depending on how I feel about where I'm at in my faith. But the truth is that the only consolation that we're given in life is, is through the cross and the resurrection of Christ. Like, like, if I'm sitting here worried and consistently worried about how I feel about my faith, how I feel about Jesus, how I feel about anything to do with him, how I feel about the church, if I'm sitting here and I'm just going, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, this is what God is calling you to. God is saying, look at me on the cross and see there's nothing more that you must do. The cross has sealed it. The cross has paid it. And now you get to live in resurrection life, even with your doubts. Because Jesus went to the cross for those doubts. Spurgeon says, instead of thus going to Christ, they set to work to be their own savior. I've got to stop this. I've got to start that. I've got to do this. It's looking to people. It's looking to people like pastors, community group leaders, friends. It's looking to a, a spouse, a husband, a wife, children. It's looking to parents. It's trying to find life in death. It's, 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 a, it's, it's allowing yourself to try to find true life in a person. Do you know that you, can, that you can spend your life, you can spend your marriage, you can spend all of your time raising kids, you can spend your, your time all the way through college as a single person and, and cause this to be the source of my meaning, the source of my value, the source of everything that I am is wrapped up in these relationships. It's wrapped up in whether this person fulfills everything that I want from them. And do you realize that you could be looking for life in death, the living among the dead. Because there is no true life, ultimate life, I should say, residing in me. 
I can't fulfill your every need that you have for a pastor. That's why there's multiple pastors here. Your spouse cannot fulfill every possible need that you have. They should certainly try and lead you back to Jesus where they fail. Or you lead them to Jesus when they fail. Man, we look to people. The people have let us down. Sometimes I think God allows us to have rough experiences with the church. Let me preface this. If you've had a rough situation with the church, it doesn't mean that you're wrong for responding the way that you have. But sometimes I think God corrects us by saying, your source of meaning and life and ultimate hope, ultimate eternal hope was based too much in the people that reside in that church rather than in me personally. Like, is your faith ultimately tied to these people? No, this, it should be an encouragement. They should not sin against you. But I guarantee you that they will. I guarantee you that there will be problems. You will not like something that I say. It, it, there will be something hurtful that will happen in your life. I guarantee it. But God, I think, sometimes corrects us. And he allows that separation to come sometimes because sometimes we're looking for the living among the dead. And I don't know if that's you. And I don't want to take that too far because I feel for you. If you've had church hurt, there's lots of people that have. I grieve for you. I'll cry with you. But I think God corrects us sometimes. You can look to religious observance. You can look to the, the idea that like, yeah, I'm coming to church. I attend periodically. I'm looking to, to religious observance in, in like, I, I, I attend, I serve. It may not even be attendance. It may just be like, I just acknowledge the things that the church acknowledges. I, I subscribe to a, a series of statements and so therefore I'm in. But that's another way of seeking the living among the dead because it's saying that my, my Christianity, the, where, the, the, the place that I really find life, the, the place that's gonna give me salvation, I have because I'm going to church, because I'm giving, because I'm serving. You could say, you know, once I'm really sorry enough once I come to this point where I'm, I'm, I've, I've atoned for my sin, once I've really felt guilty about the sins that I've committed, once I finally get to that place, once I finally get to that point, then I will find life. But the angel clearly said this, why do you seek the living among the dead? See, our, our sinful actions are death. And they come out of, as Paul says, a body of death. 
They come out of a body of death. See, me in and of myself, I am totally incapable of doing any good thing that deserves salvation. I'm completely reliant on Jesus, not simply just to save me, but I'm completely reliant on him to forgive. I'm reliant on him to, to bring about the feelings of repentance. See, the scriptures do not say, have this feeling and then Jesus will save you. No, it says believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It says believe in what he's done. It means put, take your trust out of your abilities to change yourself, to make yourself sorry enough, to cause yourself to have a feeling. It takes all of that out of the realm because men and women, that is a work. And everyone who relies on works of the law is under a curse. Why? Because it says in Galatians, if you try to obey part of the law and say, this is what will make me acceptable to God, it says, you're accountable for the entire thing. If you, if you subscribe to one point, you gotta subscribe to all 600, right? You gotta subscribe to all of the law. You have to completely fulfill it. You have to completely obey it. But the word is this, you cannot, you will not make yourself sorry enough. You'll consistently be in a sorry state instead of being in a place of true redemption through the risen Lord. See, everyone is looking for eternal hope. These are just some of the ways that you could look for eternal hope. Everyone is looking for it. We come out of the womb like wanting something to worship. We come, we come into life and we say, this is going to be the thing for me. And it begins with our parents. And hopefully your, your parents fulfill that desire for hope. I have hope because my mom feeds me. But little by little, you, you begin to have other hopes. You have this hope, you have that hope. And some of that is good and healthy. But it's beginning to show us something. It's beginning to show us something. As you begin to continue to grow and as you begin to continue to have th this desire and that desire and all of these things, you, you begin to find these things where you go, you know what, this will ultimately make me happy. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have this major in college. And you know how I know that that doesn't really work? It's because most people are not doing work that's in accordance with the major that they had in college or they change it multiple times because why? Because I think I know what will ultimately make me happy. It's being a veterinarian, it's being a lawyer, it's being whatever it is. It's being this, it's being that, it's being the other thing. Ultimately, I will derive happiness and eternal hope from my chosen career. Ultimately, I will derive happiness and eternal hope from what, whatever it is. It's this relationship. It's having a great family. 
It's making a little bit more money, which apparently my wife said she read an article that said it's about $130,000 now, which is kind of crazy. It used to be $70,000. But if I, if I have this much money, if I, if, if I have these friends, if I go these places, if, I, if I'm in this, if I'm in that, and it just brings about this eternal hopelessness. It kind of proves what Augustine said when he said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until it rests in you. Why do we have restless hearts? We have restless hearts because we believe that we can find the living among the dead. And our life, I don't know if you've ever vacuumed up around, around kids and somehow they, they have, they, there's always like a foam ball somewhere, you know? It's like this foam ball, and it gets stuck, and I'm vacuuming out the Suburban, and it, like, it, the foam, foam ball like sticks to the vacuum, and, and I'm sitting there, I'm going, I don't want that foam ball to go into the vacuum or get stuck in the hose or whatever, and it's like, boom, and then it goes inside because I can't get to the vacuum and turn it off. This is what happens with our lives. You come into life like a vacuum. And you find this little foam ball of happiness. And you go, this will fill that vacuum in my life. It'll stop sucking. <laughs> Sorry. <I don't> <laughs> totally unplanned. I don't normally use that word in preaching. but And it stops it for a minute or two. But then it just... It, little by little, it starts to squeeze inside of that hole and then boom, goes inside. You know what? I got another one. I'll get a career. When that career falls through, like, I, I can't deal with the pain of this vacuum not being fulfilled, so I'll fill it with whatever it is. I'll deaden the pain through money, sex, power, whatever it is. I'll kill the pain with drugs, whatever, alcohol. And I'll, and I'll stop that. But then you finally come to this place where, where there is absolutely no more hope. That's where, that's where desperate people go when they've tried everything. They're totally out of options. Because life has stunk for so long and they've tried so many different things. And maybe they've destroyed their life with trying to look for these things. That they, they finally, sometimes people just give up hope altogether. Blaise Pascal says, even those who commit suicide do so to improve their lot. For they are convinced that they will be happier dead than alive. See, that ultimately... Well, we may, I, I certainly hope that none of us in this room ever get to that point of desperation at any point in your life, no matter where you are with Jesus. That is not the ultimate end of all people who do not believe in Jesus. But I will say this, it's indicative of what happens. As you can try to find happiness and try to find happiness and try to find happiness in death, you continue to look for eternal hope and look for eternal hope and look for eternal hope in there. And when you finally give up, you say, you know what? My happiness will be found in death. 
And that's interesting. Kind of illuminates this, this statement, like, why do we seek the living among the dead? Because it's where we ultimately believe we'll find happiness. It's where we ultimately believe we'll find eternal hope. You were designed to have eternal hope. You were designed with this idea of eternity in, in your heart. It says that in Ecclesiastes 3. It says he has put eternity into man's heart. That there's this idea that like there's an eternal place somewhere, somehow, where there's eternal bliss. It's, it's like, I, I feel like King Solomon was, was writing this and it's just like everybody knows that there's something better than what they're experiencing. And what, what they say is, they say that the church has been lying to them. Like Christianity's been lying to them all, all of these years. But the truth is, you've been lying to you. You don't need the church to do that. <laughs> you've been lying to you. I love what Matt, Matt Chandler says all the time. Like, no one's lied to you more than you. No one's lied to you more than, than you have. You've been lying to you all of these years. What Jesus offers you. Is, is real life, eternal hope. Not just here and now, but eternally. What you've been looking for, what you've been longing for, why you're even languishing as a Christian is because you came to Jesus at first and you said, yes, give me some of that eternal hope. And you took a little bit of that hope and you said, okay, fine. Now I'll go back and I'll start trying to find my life in death. I got a little bit of Jesus, and now I can find life in death. You think you got hope, but you're not living with hope. See, what's not living with hope is somebody who says, we gotta take our country back. That doesn't seem hopeful. <laughs> I don't know. Like, that's just, I don't know. Jesus is still king right now, right here, with the country lost, whatever it is. That's, that's not hope. That is not hope. See, the weight of your eternal hope cannot be borne by your children. Your children cannot bear the weight of that. Sex cannot bear the weight of that. Success cannot bear the weight of that. Nothing can bear the weight of eternal hope. The reason why the angel says this here, I believe, is to point something out. And that is that you cannot hope in the dead. You can't hope in these things. It will not give you ultimate meaning and value. It'll be lost. So how do we seek for the resurrected Christ? Man, Psalm 34, verse eight. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. We sing, we sing a, a song, Psalm 34, sometimes. It's, it's just, just taste him. We do that through communion. It's, and it's not about the, the flavor of this cracker, but it, it's, a, it's, about, it's about I am real food. I am real life, Jesus says. It's to taste of him and to find out that he is good. 
It's to walk away from everything else, to put everything else behind you, to say, to say the same thing about where you've really been trying to find life. Yeah, you may not be out like stabbing people or like uh, doing crazy things. Maybe you are, and we should have a conversation about that too, but you may not be doing that. But the truth is, is that you find life in your, your perfect house, your perfect life, your perfect family. You find life in the hope that you're gonna get married someday. You find life in anything else but in Jesus. And so what Jesus offers you is eternal, eternal hope. What Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 13, he says, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And then he says, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Do you see, do you see what, what's being said there? Is that everybody believes like, that's what it's for, just go ahead and do that. And Paul is saying, you were not designed for that, you were designed for the Lord. You have to taste him. You have to see that he is good, that he's glorious, that he's better than sex, that he's better than your career, that he's better than your relationships. You have to see what he said to the woman at the well, this woman who's been perhaps abused for most of her life. She's had multiple husbands. Jesus says, will you give me a drink of water? And she says, how dare you ask me for a drink of water? He said, if you knew who I am, you'd ask me for a drink of water, of living water, and you'd never thirst again. And she said, that sounds really good. I, I'm sick of coming to this well. That sounds amazing. And Jesus says, no, no, no. You don't understand. Go get your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. He says, yeah, I know. You've had five. What's he saying? You've been really thirsty. You've been really longing. And you keep thinking you're going to find it in the next husband. You keep, keep thinking you're going to find it in the next relationship. You keep thinking that you're going to find it here and there and everything. And Jesus says he is offering living water. In fact, it says later in John, Jesus says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Like what Jesus offers you through his resurrection is, is, is not this stale, lifeless Christianity. What Jesus offers you is true fulfillment. The vacuum gets shut off and you begin to look for the living in the right place, and that is through the resurrected Christ. He is not here, he is risen. Stop looking for your savior. Stop looking for your eternal hope in all of the things that lead to death. And see Jesus, savor Jesus, enjoy Jesus. How do you do that? 
you just look at Jesus and you look at how he sees and savors and loves you. See, the gospel begins with the love of God. The love of God. The, lo the love of God is displayed for us on the cross. And it's not just a, a one-time thing. It's an over and over and over and over again thing. See, Jesus wants you to look in his face, to read the words that are especially in the Gospels, not only in the Gospels, but read the words in the Gospels and see this Jesus. See how he responds to the woman at the well. See what he, what, what he seems to look like. Seems how, look, at, look at how he, he seems to laugh and look, look at his love for you, who for the joy set before him went to the cross. That joy being he gets you. He gets to love you. See, you could spend all day long right now as we go to communion and as we go, as we go to like celebrating the death of Jesus. You could go there and you could, you could wallow in shame. You could wallow in that. But it's joy. This is joy. This is this is incredible. It's eternal hope. It's rivers of living water. It's that Jesus says, you don't have to go after those things anymore. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. You no longer have to be restless. Can we go to the Lord's table? So as you uh, head back to your seat, would you bow your heads with me? Sometimes I, I think we make communion maybe a little too solemn instead of, instead of an opportunity for joy. The crucified Savior is no longer in the grave. He is risen. And this is a point of celebration. And so while we bring confession to Jesus we can say something to the effect of oh Jesus I am not but I know that you are I'm not blank enough I'm not devoted enough I'm not committed enough but Jesus is saying all oh, there's nothing else I require of you I did it all on the cross and I want you to taste and see that I am good. So he reaches out his hand and imagine for a second that you're sitting at that table at the Last Supper where Jesus just says, I know, I know, 
I know all is forgiven. This is my body. I want you to eat this in remembrance of what I did for you so that you don't forget. Let's partake of the body. He says, this is my blood which is poured out for you and for that sin. Do this in remembrance of me. Can we celebrate our, our Jesus? Can we celebrate that he's risen? Can we do that when it's not Easter Sunday? Yes. Let's do it.